Hosanna, a fellowship with Christians. Hey, good morning, everyone. Got a lot of people just uh, really doing some good fellowship right now. That's my cue to say, hey, we're starting. <laughs> um, no, it's good to see to see each other, isn't it? And I've got this this theory. I've noticed a phenomenon that when we lose an hour of sleep, we tend to be more prompt. It's always interesting. People are get the, where they're going on time better for some reason. Uh, it's an interesting phenomenon. So I read a book on worship one time, and the author of the book asked several well-known worship leaders to give a definition of worship. And each one was a little bit different. Um, so whose was right? Uh, probably all of them, <laughs> because it was coming from their own personal relationship with God. It was coming from their perspective and their experience with God. It was coming from their interpretation of scripture. Um, but you know, what we do here is not meant to be complicated. It's not meant to be complicated, right? Being a worshiper of God is not complicated. One of my favorite definitions of worship that I've come across is by Annie Herring. It says, worship is not something you learn to do. It's something we stop forbidding ourselves from doing. Right? I believe that every human heart is designed and desires to worship its creator. And uh, we simply... You know, we fill it in with other things sometimes, don't we? We essentially are forbidding ourselves from doing what our heart truly desires, and that is to fellowship and worship our create, fellowship with and worship our Creator. And there are things we can glean from worship about worship. There are there are institutes designated completely for the study of of worship, and those are good. But I want to make a simple diagram. Remind us of a simple diagram that Joanne has taught here before. It's like a circle, all right? So God is pouring his love down into us, onto, onto us, around us. It's that half of the circle. And our job is simply, right, to return it, just reciprocate that love back to him. And then you get this wonderful flow of, of the circle, unhindered circle. And of course, on our side, there are things that get siphoned off that we try to fill in, we try to satisfy ourselves with and interrupts the flow somewhat, but God's love is always flowing. It's just our task, our, not task, it's our privilege just to return that flow right back to him. We make that circle flow so seamlessly. Um, so let's stop forbidding ourselves from worshiping, from doing what we're, our heart truly desires. Let's, just, let's complete that flow of the circle. There's a simplicity, humility to the way you love me, and honesty, purity. God, you make it easy, no special words or formulas, whatever win you over, for your love is undeserved. Complicated 
principle of the kingdom of God that just fascinates me. <laughs> Only one? No. <laughs> For right now, just one. You can only focus on one thing at a time. You can only do one thing at a time. But God never said that he would turn your life right side up, did he? <laughs> In fact, he will most likely turn it upside down. Your own strength will become weakness until he is your strength. Your pride and ego will be turned into humility and reverence. Your wisdom will seem foolish when he imparts his wisdom in your situation. And what the world considers freedom will feel like a prison compared to the true freedom that he brings and that he offers. In his kingdom, the weak ones are the strong ones, the poor ones are rich, the foolish ones are wise, 
The last are first. Just a couple questions to ponder for a moment. How has your life been beautifully turned upside down by God? And how is God inviting you to let go of things you're trying to keep right side up? such a, a principle that brings so much hope to so many people, all of us really. But man, you know, we don't have to have it all together. Thank God. He's got us. Let's sing this song together.
This is off script, but anyone want to share about, really briefly, about how your life has been beautifully turned upside down by God? Something that's right off the tip of your tongue, at the forefront of your mind, anything? Turned your life upside down, didn't it? She got a dog, she said. <laughs> Beautifully upside down, right? Is that it is a, she is a beautiful dog, I would say. If you haven't seen Joanne's dog. I think that's <laughs> uh, All right, well, it's something to con- continue to ponder. But um, God does make beautiful things out of us. And uh, we want to teach you this song. Um, it's called Graves and Gardens. Glory, you're the only one who can. 
Invite somebody up who doesn't ramble. Oh my goodness. I've worked with this guy for I can't tell you how many years. And he might seem that, but he cracks you up, really. He's really. Uh, yeah, how about it? He turns our mourning into dancing, right? Yeah, he's the only one who can. Whoop, thanks, Jeff. Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you this morning. And friends on the live stream, it's good to see all of you too. It's just good to be here. It's good to be, see the sun shining all week, right? Yep. The warmer weather, holy cow, it's been wonderful. Couple announcements for you this morning. As always, our offering buckets in the back, our change for change bucket is over here to my right. And the money that's being dropped in for Change for Change is going to go to the Warwick Compassion Network, which Hosanna is a part of. And it's going to go to help families in our Lidditz community with um, help with electric and oil, things like that. 
And next Sunday, we're going to be having another bucket sitting out. It's hard to believe that Easter is only three weeks away. And we're going to be helping 24 families in the life of our Hosanna community with uh, grocery gift cards for Easter. So we're going to have another bucket sitting back there for that because we're still practicing our social distancing and wearing masks. And thank you for continuing to do that. Also, on Saturday, March 27th, we're going to have another kid adventure night here at the church. The kids have been having so much fun. Even though they're wearing their mask and social distancing, they've been having pizza and watching a movie. Well, this time, Kelly, our children's director, is going to shake it up a bit, and we're still going to have pizza. But they're going to be a, it's going to be a game night. <laughs> it's going to be a game night. Tony's over here clapping for the pizza. He can, you can come and join us, <laughs> Tony. It's a lot of fun. It's going to be a game night. Believe it or not, the kids are going to play games and be together, social distancing and wearing their masks. At the last kid venture, it was really evident that they were just happy to be together. And I think our kids have been missing each other and being um, apart. So if you want your kids to be a part of that, contact Kelly at kelly at hosannalitits.org. All the announcements I'm talking about this morning are on our online bulletin on the website, so please check that out. And since Easter is only three weeks away, we are really excited about our Easter services this year. Um, first, they're going to start on Good Friday, April the 2nd. Our building is going to be open from 12 to 8. And we're going to be having stations, different stations here in the auditorium, where there will be a time where you can walk around to each station and take some time reflecting on what's being presented at that station. It's a time for self-reflection. It's self-guided, so that takes away all the angst of social distancing and wearing the mask. Somebody will be here to help with all of that. But it's going to be a really powerful day from 12 to 8 here at the building. And then on Sunday morning, April 4th, we are going to have a sunrise service. Yay, right? Sunrise, yes. <laughs> it's only a half an hour long. It's, we're going to be meeting here at 6.30 outside, hopefully, weather permitting. Um, bring a chair. If, or if you would like to stand, you can stand or bring a chair. It's about a half an hour long, followed by some light refreshments. And then our church service at 9.30 that morning is going to be amazing. Um, the kids are going to be back with us. We're going to have a special kids story that morning. And we're going to be celebrating the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we're also going to be celebrating the resurrection that happens and that has happened inside of us. So you won't want to miss our Easter services. We're holding live here and then on live stream for our folks who can't be with us. And now I'm going to call up our finance guy here, Eric Blow. He's going to come and um, give you an announcement this morning, but I just want to give a shout out to Eric. Oh, come on up, Eric. And to Tony. They have been working behind the scenes over this last year, over the pandemic. They have done some amazing things for us financially, working with banks and all the stuff that they've had to go through to help Hosanna keep on course through the pandemic. So finance guy, Eric Blow, turning it over to you. All right, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, when I accepted this volunteer position, um, I wasn't really handed like a job description of sorts, but if I had to do my own job description of what I actually do here, it's kind of like, we work on money-related things behind the scenes on a weekly basis so that A, you guys don't have to worry about it, and B, 
when we all get together here as a group, we can do, work on the things that really matter. So that's kind of the way I view the position that I've accepted. Having said that, um, I was never a big fan of talking about money in church, quite frankly. I used to always be turned off by it. So it's kind of ironic that I'm now the guy that gets to get up here and kind of give you a status report on dollars and cents. Having said that, you may remember at the end of last year, latter part of last year, I did come up, I gave an update, and one of the things I talked about was a roof project that we did here at Hosanna. <clears throat> it was a $60,000 undertaking. It was done out of sheer necessity. And the beautiful thing is, if you recall, when I got up here and spoke, we had already received by word of mouth $45,000 towards that $60,000. Since then, which was fantastic, okay? Since then, we've had another approximately $5,000 trickle in. So we're left with $10,000 that we'd like to, and this is an appeal to everybody, we'd like to really clean up. As far as the financial statements of the church, we have this like $10,000 toothache that just won't seem to go away, okay? I use some really intellectual analogies from time to time. <laughs> so the bottom line is I think we're at the point where any like larger chunks of cash that were going to be contributed to it have already come in. And I think we're at the point now where we just have to attack it, uh, you know, with everybody in the congregation that A, can give and B, it feels led to give. This is, this is a God thing. So, you know, if you can and, you know, you feel led, we're asking for help to just kind of retire that debt, get it off the, the financial statements of the church and, you know, call it a day. So I know when I get spoken to, you know, I like to hear things straight up. Uh, I'm talking to you the way I would want to be spoken to. Give me the facts and then move on. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. So one of the other things uh, earlier in the service, Deb whispered in my ear like, oh, by the way, when you're done, you get to intro Tony. So at this time, I'm introducing the grand poobah the infamous Tony Blair. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Eric. I will be the infamous. I don't know that I'll be the grand poobah. <laughs> I'm just amazed at how wonderful you are. That roof project was done a year ago last week. We finished it just as the pandemic broke out. And then we had other more important things to worry about. So we, and, and you know, what was going to happen to us, you know, here in this few months? So we never came and asked you for any money for that. We never came and asked you for any money for that. And $50,000 came in despite the fact that we never said a word to you about it. That's, that's what blows me away. And so we're coming up to the one-year anniversary, and Eric and I are talking. It's like, well, maybe we and I asked the people for, you know, we can maybe, that extra Ted uh, can be taken care of. So thank you just for being awesome like that. Okay, I'm here for a different purpose this morning. One of the advantages, one of the cool things that Joanne and I both experience by working at a seminary, and that's, that's our, well, at least it's my day job and it's a lot of hers, is we get to meet some really, really awesome people. Some of them are called colleagues, some are called students. It's kind of hard to tell the difference because uh, people, when I talk about working at a seminary, people think I'm working with 22-year-olds. Our average age student is 45. 
we have students that uh, last year, I, I, my age range of my students went from 22 to 80. <laughs> Uh, we have a lot of students who are senior citizens now. So we got these people that are just simply, they're professionals, they've been in uh, careers for decades, they know stuff, there's just such a tremendous wisdom and we learn as much from them as they learn from us. And, it's, uh, and we say repeatedly, boy, I would just love to be able to introduce you to Hosanna. Some of our students get tired of hearing about you. I don't know if they get tired of it, but we just talk about you, we brag about you guys so much because there's so much goodness among what you guys do here and what, um, what this church is. But sometimes we also want to uh, brag about our students to you because we see some really good, good things there. Like our guest speaker this morning. We mentioned last week that we have a guest speaker. To call, uh, his name is Vince Donicky. To call Vince a student, maybe to, to diminish uh, what God has done in him uh, over the past couple decades. Vince has been a, um, a pastor for uh, nearly 30 years now. Uh, back in 2010, he and some friends founded a church in Berks County called Reading City Church. He is still the senior pastor of that. And as he describes that, it sounds an awful lot like the same spirit here at Hosanna. More importantly, what we discovered in Vince as we got this, Joanne and I both became his professors here the last couple of years, was a spirit that was really the spirit that we see in you and the spirit that we see in Christ. Um, we love this guy. He's, he's, he's courageous. He is uh, wise. He's very humble. And uh, we felt a nudge that maybe this was a time to um, introduce him to you and introduce you to him. And maybe the spirit was going to do something cool here this morning. So with that introduction, we'll see what God has for us. Vince, why don't you come and share with us? Yes, I am. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, I can actually call you uh, my Hosanna family, even though I have not met most of you and you have not, have, you have not met me yet. But uh, we share a bond, of course, that is way deeper than any kind of uh, uh, relational blood uh, here on earth. And we share a bond, of course, that is... Um, that is way deeper than, than even those relationships that we are most familiar with uh, because of what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. Um, and there's just such a beautiful sense of his presence this morning. I love uh, the worship set that you got guys picked. I love the worship songs. Um, the team, uh, beautiful. Just it was, uh, it was a beautiful sense of worship this morning. Uh, so, yeah, so we are spiritually blood relatives. And uh, we, are, we, we are one in Christ and are able to share the beautiful uh, presence of who he is and the goodness of who he is. And I want to say how much I appreciate your, your pastors, Tony and, and uh, Joanne, as well. When I started Evangelical Seminary, I had no idea that uh, the professors could be so gracious and so spiritually uh, sensitive um, as they have been, and, and they have uh, already left a, a pretty major impact on myself. Um, enough of the mush. Uh, thank you, Tony, for your mush, and I mushed a little bit. Now let's jump in this morning. Uh, we're going to be spending uh, our whole time together this morning during this sermon on one scripture verse, Romans 12, 2, which, as probably most of you know, says, do not be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And the title of this, uh, this morning's sermon is Becoming the Real You, but in actuality, I probably should have named it Becoming the Real, Real You, but that just felt really awkward. <laughs> Uh, because in my experience, there are um, three U's, terribly, uh, terrible grammatically, I know that, uh, but I, I wanted to stick for a minute. There are three U's, uh, the ideal you, the real you, and then the real, real you. Uh, the ideal you is that you that you wish to project to other people. We all do this. Um, it's, the, it's the perfectly put together family unit, you know, that, that walks in the church doors with nothing but smiles, uh, but was World War III, you know, uh, before they left the house. And perhaps maybe even some hurtful comments said in the church parking lot moments before. Uh, it's that version of ourselves that we post on social media that makes it appear that we are far more put together than what we actually are. Uh, that our marriages and our kids are far more well-adjusted than what they actually are. Uh, on Instagram and Facebook, we can be chefs. We can be healthy. We can be exercise freaks. We can be balanced. Uh, we can always appear to have a good time, even if none of that is really true. And it becomes a place where we can create a narrative that we may want to be true, uh, but that actually is not. There's a huge market, as you probably know, in apps that you can download on your phone uh, that um, really perfect your physical image in video uh, and in pictures. Ones that get rid of blemishes, scars, bags, uh, which many of us probably have losing an hour of sleep, um, yellow teeth, tired eyes. Like in a minute, you can just get rid of that stuff after you're done taking a picture of yourself or a video of yourself. And I'm watching more and more friends who are in their 30s, which I'm like, why are you even bothering with that? Like, I'm in my 50s now, and I don't understand why people would bother uh, with try in their 30s and 20s trying to perfect themselves. It only gets much worse as you get older. And they're, <laughs> and they're, trying, and they're trying, and they're putting these videos up of them talking, and I'm like, I know that's not what you look like. <laughs> I see you, you know, and they, and they do these dating apps and then they actually see the person in real life and they're shocked because they're much older than what they appeared. Um, they have apps that make us look bright and young and somewhat perfect. And of course, it's certainly not just in the church or on social media uh, that we project the ideal self. Um, it's in our relationships, it's, it's in our workplaces. We, we often try to project a more spiritual self or perhaps a more playful self or a more accomplished self. You get the idea. There are personality tests like the DISC and others that show the difference between our private selves and our pub public selves. Um, there's a self that we've learned probably at a, at a very young age, that is accepted and liked by others. And so we typically project that self in group settings. But the private self is the self we most naturally are uh, when we're not trying to be something different. 
And that's the real you. The real you is who you are when you're around that person or maybe people group that completely accepts you just as you are, warts and all, perhaps a best friend or a family member. It's the you that when you can exhale deeply, when you can let your hair down, so to speak, kick off your shoes, fully be yourself. And for some of us, that may only be when we are completely alone with God. It's the unfiltered you, the you that's not trying to prove anything. Now, we're probably aware of these two different selves. Most of us have accepted that there's this ideal version of ourself that we project, and then there's this real version of ourself that we actually are. And we see the ideal version of ourself as something that, that everybody projects an ideal version of herself. We don't beat ourselves up over that. We even see it as necessary in particular situations, like, for example, a job interview uh, or trying to impress the in-laws for the first time. But as we age, maturity increasingly uh, makes us more comfortable with our real self, and we tend to let go of the ideal self. We become more at home in our own skin with our limitations and with our strengths. And if we're healthy, the real us becomes the only us most of the time. And alternatively, if we're not healthy, if we're not healed or on, our, on the process of being healed, we hold on more tightly to our ideal self and even come to believe the false narratives that we want others to believe about ourselves. And eventually, this can lead to a double-mindedness or a hypocrisy or maybe even a duplicity. One of the goals of uh, psychological counseling or therapy is to get us to see the cost that our lies or our false realities are extracting from us and from others and to more fully embrace a reality as it actually is and not as we want it to be. And this often comes with a deep sense of depression at first or, uh, you know, or, or uh, melancholy as we kind of let go of the false self and that false reality comes crashing down. But psychologists know from experience that on the other end of that, if the person sticks through with it, there's greater acceptance, there's freedom, there's peace, there's greater harmony. And that's really the gospel the gospel challenges our false assumptions. The gospel challenges our ideal us that's usually built up with pride and the sense of accomplishment, the sense of very American individualism that we got this, we can do this. And the gospel says, no, you can't. <laughs> the gospel says only Christ can do it when it comes to pleasing God and when it comes to living for God. Only Christ can do this, and that can be very good news to a person who doesn't like either their real self or their false self and may be filled with shame. That's why Jesus spends so much time with people that were always on the fringes. But it's not necessarily good news to the religious leaders or those who have really bought into the false narrative that we've got it. We're capable of getting this thing done. It's not always good news to them. That's so why the, you know, the, the, the rich young ruler walked away sad because he thought he did everything right. He had this image of who he was, 
But Jesus, of course, went for the one thing that was closest to his heart. And the gospel teaches us that it is through faith alone that we're justified by uh, faith alone in Christ that we're justified by uh, through in God, and that this does not come by our efforts and by our works, but it comes through a grace, and that grace either sets us free. It always sets us free, but it often comes with a enormous blow to the ego at first, if we're honest enough with ourselves to allow the gospel to actually transform our hearts and not just be head knowledge. And when it transforms our hearts, it, 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 it gives a big blow to our ego because we realize, oh, we can't do this thing. We don't got it. He alone has it. And so spiritually speaking, there is a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a melancholy. There is a little bit of a depression that comes in order to be really free and at peace in him and to have greater harmony. And that, and, and so we, we, we accept that there's a real us. We accept that there is a, an ideal us, but there is also another you that I was just starting to get at when I talked about the gospel, and that is the real, real you. It's the you that will outlive your human frame. It's the you that is eternal. It's the you that was created in the image of God, which of course we know all humanity was, but it's that you that that image again was redeemed and found by Christ. Jesus made brand new, and that's being transformed into his image from glory to glory. It's the risen you. It's the fully spiritually alive you that's wedded with Jesus Christ himself, reconciled to God, the source of all power, of light, life, and love. And the fact that he, the Holy Spirit, and the Son all have made their homes within our spirit, in these bodies, that we have treasures in these jars of clay, and that that treasure, this reality, this, this real, real us, will far outlive our current bodies. Romans 12, 2 is all about becoming the real, real you. Understanding and paying attention to this reality of who we are in Christ, of the real, real us, has a major impact on both the real you and the ideal you. It's a gradual but steady change from the inside out. So again, you know the scripture, Romans 12, 2, do not be transformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. And what I'd like to do this morning is take this part by part and look at each section because this verse is, well, it's very personal for me, which you'll hear a little bit about this morning, very powerful verse for my own personal existence, probably my life verse. But it, it, there's also just so much packed into this uh, that I think is really beautiful. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. And that word conformed in the Greek is to assimilate behavior or social norms. It's to become shaped or molded into a certain pattern. And for some reason, I always think of silly putty. I meant to bring silly putty, but my kids are all older and they don't have any silly putty when I went to look for it. 
Um, I don't know how you can't have silly putty in your house, um, no matter what age you are. But um, uh, something about silly putty as a kid, I just loved it. You know, rolling it up in a ball and bouncing it and pressing it against the Sunday paper and looking in the face and stretching it. Uh, that, that, that silly putty, you know, uh, would bend to my desires, you know. Uh, that's kind of our lives. What it means to be conformed means that you're molded and shaped by forces other than uh, your own will. The social sciences would largely teach us that we are a product of our environment. Uh, The impact that our families and neighborhoods and friends and schools and governments and social media and all the rest plays in shaping who we are is huge. It conforms us. And so Paul says, do not be conformed to the world. Some of your Bibles may say, to the patterns of this age. And it simply means, do not be molded and shaped by the times and forces of the culture in which we find ourselves. Now, that's almost impossible, (laughs) but we can pay attention to it. I can tell you that it's far less possible if we just blindly and subconsciously allow the forces to form us without actually paying attention to what is forming us and how it is forming us. Paul's not necessarily talking about sin here. That's the lens that we often look at, you know, the scripture with, through, um, what wretches we are, and then we read a verse like this and think, oh, he's talking about, you know, as when I came to faith as a teenager in a church, the things that I always heard about was rated R movies, uh, secular music, uh, (laughs) smoking and cursing, you know, they were the big things. which Jesus hardly ever talked about, but, uh, but, but you know, those were the big things. And, and so we read a scripture verse like that and we think, oh, Jesus is talking about don't be formed by the sinful society. That's not, Paul doesn't say anything about sin in that scripture. He's just talking about the practical, we could say today, sociological understanding of the fact that the world shapes and molds us. And be aware of that. Be aware of the way that it shapes and molds us. Um, whether we are being purposeful about our spiritual formation or we're not, we are still spiritually being formed. Whether or not we're intentional about what that would look like. So for me, and I know for Joanna and Tony and probably many of you, the spiritual practices and disciplines are definitely a part of my regular rhythms with God. But if I wasn't doing that, I would still be formed uh, by something else, by other forces. We are emotionally formed and our values have been formed by the society that we live in. And let's just think about this from a political perspective for a moment. If you're anything like me, you've probably fully lost your taste for politics in the last year and a half or two years. Uh, we, we, we desire to completely separate ourselves if we could, right? If we could. <laughs> we desire to completely separate ourselves from the whole mess that is the political machine. But can we do that? Uh, Caitlin Schles writes in her book, The Liturgy of Politics, that we, she believes, and I think there's some truth in this, we can't truly be free of it. She writes, our common life together will always involve the government in some way, 
When we wake up in the morning, our eyes open in neighborhoods that are determined by politics. The racial and ethnic makeup of our communities aren't an accident. They're greatly influenced by government decisions about zoning laws and a long history of legal segregation. The schools we attend are also implicated. Local and national policies affect the opportunities our neighbors have access to. The stores we shop at are governed by policies that protect or neglect workers and businesses. The food we buy is influenced by policies that subsidize or regulate food industries. The cars we drive in require gas and industry with significant political implications for foreign policy and environmental law. And she goes on and on. Politics, whether we like it or not, has greatly influenced the way we live our lives here in America. And then what about race? What about economics? What about our faith traditions? What about the families that we grew up, grew up in and the traditions that we may be used to or the dysfunctions that happened there? All of these things formed and shape and mold us. It's not a matter of if we've been conformed. <laughs> it's a matter of how have we been formed. And it's a matter of how can we begin to put ourselves in a place where we are formed by God's spirit more intentionally. We can't ever separate ourselves from the way that the world is forming us, but we can recognize it and we can put ourselves in a place in which we are more intentionally being formed by the spirit of God. Isaiah 64, eight says, but now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are the work of your hand. That's what Paul, that's the sentiment that Paul's getting to here in talking about to not be conformed to the patterns of this world. Don't be the clay on the potter wheel of the world, but be the, be the clay that's on the potter wheel of God's spirit. Paul's asking us to consider the ways that we've been formed, play, again, place ourselves in his capable hands to fashion us after his characteristics and after the characteristics of his son. And next, Paul says, you know, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world or to this world, but be transformed. I'm going to skip the transformed part for a minute and say, go to what he says next that leads to our transformation, which is renewing our minds. To renew is this word that also means to replace. It means to reestablish in like new manner or improvement. And it was a term that was used a lot in construction um, back then. And it means like taking out, going into a home that was old and taking out old decayed two by fours, say, I don't know what construction terms are. I, I don't even know what a two by four is. I mean, I have an idea because of the measurements, but um, uh, uh, taking out a, a rotten piece of lumber and replacing it with a good fresh piece of lumber, which then of course would affect the structure, uh, integrity of the, whole, of the whole building. That's the idea that Paul's saying here. Paul's talking about recognizing the ways that we've been formed, especially our thought process, and replacing those formed thoughts with something better. Repre replacing conformed thinking with something new and stronger that's better for stability. There's something else, that something else is the reality of God and the truth of God's word. 
I often talk about uh, in my sermons that we have a we have a small truth with a we have a truth with a small t, and God's truth is a is is truth with a capital T. Um, years ago, when postmodernism was first you know really becoming the rage, and Christians were raging against it, the ideas behind it. You know, I, I would often say you're, you're wasting your breath. Like, what are you fighting against? Something that you can't, you can't overturn, you can't decide is going to be different or talk about the evils. And really, the reality is that we all do have our own truth. Everyone does. I know we don't want to admit that, but we do. Our truth has been formed by our world and our values and the way we perceive things and the filters through which we look at stuff, which has been shaped by any number of things. We all do have our own truths. It's not to deny that because that's just dishonest, but it's to recognize what those truths are and to say, okay, my truths with a small t has to die under God's truths with a capital T that there is a truth outside of my truth, and I have to learn to be formed by that truth as opposed to the truths that have formed me up to this point. What conclusions have we come to as a result of the experiences that we've had in our lives? We may have been, had a powerful encounter with God, you know, at some point we may, have, um, you know, went through some counseling and we may have went through some of those things, but, but are there aspects of our character that are, that are blind spots? The answer to that is yes, because we all have blind spots. And, 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 and do we have blind spots in which we, there are aspects of who we are that is, is actually not very healthy? Uh, we don't see it because it's been so formed in us through our childhood and through all these things that have happened. And then We've confirmed it over and over again by the way we have acted or the way other people have acted and it's confirmed these realities, our truths with a small t, and they've shaped and molded certain things that aren't exactly healthy, but more than that, they actually contradict the truths of God's word. And if they contradict the truths of God's word, what's going to win the day at that point? So... I'd like to share something from my personal experience uh, because I think it sheds light on what I'm meaning and highlighting here um, as far as uh, renewing our mind. Uh, About, uh, I don't know, 1999, I think, to about 2004, um, I went through a really dark five years. Uh, I was... um, I am married for 30, uh, almost 30 years, and we were married then, um, and we did not have any kids. We were married for seven years. Uh, We didn't have any children, and uh, we were, we, not because of any physical thing, we just, we just liked living our life without kids. (laughs) Uh, But eventually, it was like we were sitting around one night in the living room, and we're like, we did it all. We had friends over all the time. We... We did all that fun stuff, you know. It's what else are we doing with our lives? Let's have kids, isn't that spiritual? Um, and and so we decided we were going to have kids. And uh, right at the time that my wife was pregnant um, with our first son, 
I found out that I had thyroid cancer. And if you know thyroid cancer, you know, if you, if, I mean, that sounds terrible to say this, but if you're going to have a cancer, that's the one to get. You know, it's highly curable. It, 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 it does affect you because of medications and stuff, but overall, you'll be good. But I was a young guy. I was a young male. And young males don't usually get thyroid cancer. And when they did the, when they pulled out um, the, the biopsy and, and looked at the cells, they found out it was a very large, it was a large cell variety of cancer. And they basically said that they were going to have to do some intensive therapy, take out the whole thyroid. And um, there was a chance that none of it would work. And I would have a year. And my, my wife is pregnant with our firstborn. And my wife had her father die when she was two. And her greatest fear was to have a child without a father. And uh, so there was a period of time where that was difficult. You know, they, they took out the whole thyroid and I had nothing to regulate my thyroid. You know, your thyroid, if you know about your thyroid, it regulates so much. Your emotions, your your ability to, mem- to, to remember things, your weight, um, a whole bunch of stuff. So I gained weight quickly. I, I felt like I was losing my mind. Uh, uh, I remember like burying my head in a, in a towel and just saying, you know, Jesus, you're my rock, Jesus, you're my rock, Jesus, you're my rock, because I felt like at times I was slipping down like a, from like a walls, like there was nothing to grab onto. And I felt like I was losing my mind numerous times until they finally, because I had to go without any medi- medication in order for them to do the radioactive treatment. And uh, for over a month, there was nothing regulating anything. And then eventually, they, you know, it, took, it takes a long time before they finally get you regulated. So I finally was getting regulated. We started at, at, a, at a new church on staff there uh, because the church that I was a part of at that time, which I loved, like I, I, I won't go into the whole story, but a new pastor came in that the red, it was one of those things where the flags were all over the place and they just weren't paid attention to. And he was a very damaging figure. The church fell apart. Um, Lies were spread about me. It was just a mess of a situation. Um, Very hurtful. And so we left that church. We went to another church in central Jersey and we were a part of that church uh, for a while. And while we were serving there, it was a great church again, loved it. Uh, while we were serving there, um, my you know, grandmother passed away and then another grandmother passed away and then, and then an uncle passed away and then another uncle, his brother, who was on the way to the funeral um, of his brother a week apart, um, died horrifically in a really bad car accident. And, um, and then... And then my brother, my oldest brother, committed suicide. And that was a huge uh, blow to our family because every family has their dysfunctions, but we loved one another deeply and, you know, we just didn't see it coming. All the warning signs were, were there. Not that he would have taken his life, but that there was uh, some bipolar stuff that we just, I think we turned a blind eye to. And... Um, so after that, we went to a funeral, got together with cousins I haven't seen for a long time. One of the cousins uh, was great connecting with him, and uh, it was probably less than a year after that that he drowned 
And then when we were at the hospital for one of these things that were happening, this was actually going back with my, my grandma, one of my grandmothers. Um, his sister was out there as well, and she had a three-year-old little girl that was just adorable, and my son was about two, and I remember when my grandmother was in the hospital bed, I took my son on one hand and my, my little cousin's uh, little girl on the other hand, and we walked around the hospital hallways together. And after um, her brother drowned, she was in a car driving with a friend and her three-year-old's in the back seat, and her three-year-old is screaming and crying, and her friend takes her out of the car seat and brings her up, and she kicks her mom in the head, and the mom goes into another car, and her little girl's killed. And at that point, I'm like, I didn't want to do any more funerals, and I did not want to go to a three-year-old and see a three-year-old casket. And, you know, at this point, there was like this dark cloud that just was not leaving. And I began to feel like, when was the next terrible thing gonna happen? Like, it, it was just one tragedy after the next. And then I was sitting in church and a missionary came and spoke. And the missionary preached from Psalm 23 and he gets to the end and he says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And immediately in me, I said, that's not true. That's not, that's not my reality. Surely the goodness and mercy of God will follow me all the days of my life. Nope, I'm not seeing it. And wow, that was, that was an interesting response. And immediately I thought, what do I do with that? I mean, I'm in ministry for crying out loud. How do I preach the Bible if I don't believe that it's actually true. So this was a, this was a, a, a major conflict. <laughs> um, there, my, my life experience was in contradiction to the word of God. The way I was being formed and shaped and molded and what that was teaching me and my whole emotional well-being and my approach to life was being majorly formed by the tragedies and trials that were happening during those few years. And it was a complete contradiction with the word of God. And so I don't know how I know, knew to do this. It had to be a grace of God, but I went into the sanctuary during that week and I closed the doors and I made sure the front doors were locked. I mean, people who had keys could get in, obviously, but I just made sure it was locked and I closed the sanctuary doors and I, and I took out the Bible and I decided I was gonna have it out with God. I was gonna yell, I was gonna tell him what was going on about the pain and the audacity that his word has, I know it sounds funny, but the audacity that his word has to tell me that his goodness and mercy and grace will follow me all the days of my life and this is my experience. And so I went back and forth and I remember walking back and forth in the front of that church and yelling and, and then I would read the scripture I would stop and read it. Surely goodness and mercy would follow me all the days of my life. And I would just lay down and just weep. And then I would get up again and yell again and walk back and forth. And then I would read it again. And I would lay down again and just weep. And I don't even know how long I did that for. I, I guess maybe two hours. I don't even know, honestly. But at some point... At some point, I, uh, 
I just gave up. I surrendered my truth for God's truth. I already knew I was greatly flawed as a human being. I already knew that my truth was always going to be skewed and self-serving. I, I knew that God's truth had to become my truth, you know. But in that moment, it became very real. And something that we hear a lot of people say, you know, became very, very true to me, very personal for me, that, that God, you are good for who you are, not always for what, you, what I see you do. Um, because his eternal goodness will always uh, have an impact um, on the temporary goodness uh, or not, but, but there's an eternal goodness of who he is. And so um, this idea of wrestling with God's word and losing, losing on purpose, is really, really key. And exchanging your truth for his truth, and then deciding to live as if that truth were real. <laughs> so, you know, I may, my experience taught me that, that the, I was waiting for the next tragedy to come, it was a dark cloud, but the word of God said, that, that surely his goodness and mercy would follow me all the days of my life. I have a choice to live under either of those realities, right? It's easy to live under the one of the dark cloud because that was my feelings and my feelings always dictate you know, what reality is for like most of us. But there's this truth of God that's far more real actually because it's eternally true. It's not true just from my little microscopic understanding of my little life, but it's the histories are eternally true. And so I decided to live my life as if the word of God were true. And it was amazing how that began to change my perspective. Now, honestly, it helped that there were no more big tragedies for a number of years. <laughs> that helped. But it also helped me to see the mercy and goodness of grace of God present amidst all the suffering a lot more clearly. I knew that it was there before, but I couldn't see it. But now I could see it more clearly. The impact that that's had on my approach to God's word is completely revolutionized uh, my understanding. Um, Obviously, our experiences are not all the same, but the bullet points are an important part of what it means to actually renew our minds. Uh, and what happens when we renew our minds? We become more purposeful about our transformation into the new life that we have in Christ and the new way of living life in his spirit. Um, that leads, wait a minute, not that. Uh, not renewal of your mind, but transformation. Here it is. Um, that leads to our transformation. Um, and so I know the first part of that was a little heavy. This part's, I think, it gets more exciting. Uh, <laughs> uh, because that word transform that Paul uses here is so interesting. It actually, it can be the same word that's, that's used for transfigured. As a matter of fact, it's the same word that Mark uses and the gospel writers use to talk about when Jesus was transfigured. Uh, Mark writes, and after the, Mark chapter nine, verses two through four, after the sixth day, Jesus took him, Peter and James and John, and led them on a high mountain by themselves. 
And he, speaking of Jesus, was transfigured before them and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. For a moment, the eternal state of who Christ was shone through. For just a moment. Now, there was two truths, right? There was the truth that they saw and knew about Jesus. They, the way they interacted with him in the flesh. But now in this moment, there was another eternal reality of who Jesus was that came through. And that had to be absolutely shocking and awe-inspiring. Um, this must have impacted Peter so much because he talks about it later. If you read 2 Peter 1, 16 through 18, Peter references this uh, story of what happened. Um, so, I don't know. Um, please tell me the time I'm supposed to end. Uh, what's that? Okay. Let's see if I can wrap that up. <laughs> I'm not going to tell that story, but I'll just say this, that the chapter in 2 Corinthians 3.18, um, that, that, that book talks about Moses going to meet with God and how you know, he was transformed. Um, there was like a light when he met with God, but he had to wear a veil uh, because of the holiness of God. And Paul writes, because of Jesus, we don't have a veil. And he says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed. It's the same word of transfigured again into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. What Paul's saying there and what he says in the other, uh, in Romans 12 too, as we behold the glory of God, the truth of who God is, God's truth with a capital T, his reality of who he is and his reality for us we begin to change. We begin to transform. Uh, we begin to become the other reality. Uh, it's not to say that this reality, of course, goes away or anything weird like that, but it's to say that we become more and more aware. When Jesus said that you are the lights of the world, right? We call Jesus the light of the world. Jesus called us the light of the world in, in Matthew 5. And you know, Joanne, I know, has shared a story about that with her personally. And I also, when she shared that story with us as students, my jaw dropped because I've never heard of anyone else telling a story that I have a story that's very similar to hers, in which God made that extremely real, what it means that we are light. And I won't get into the story for the sake of time, but I'll just say that if we just had a glimpse of who we are, I mean, who we really are eternally, who I saw, and I know it sounds weird, and I'm probably going to make it more weird because I'm not giving you the whole context of the story by just giving you a snippet. It's more weird, I know. But what I saw in that moment is that I was way bigger than this physical body, pure, brilliant, bright light, like blinding. And it wasn't me, but it was me. I knew it was Christ, but I knew it was in me. And this sense of joy like completely overcame me. And I had this sense of like, wow, if the children of God only knew who we really were in Christ, it would completely transform the way we live our lives and the things that we see. See, that's God's truth with a capital T. And Paul says that we are transformed, transfigured from glory to glory. These are spiritual realities that are meant to have an impact on this existence here and now, on the real you, on the ideal you. Uh, so, and Paul writes that if that wasn't good enough of a reason to begin to replace our conformed thinking with the truth of who God is, Paul says that 
the main reason that we do this is so that we can discern. Uh, and man, if there's anything right now that we all want, it's to discern. <laughs> there is so much information and misinformation and confusion that exists in the world. And sometimes we don't know what to believe. I've heard so many people say that in the last year. I don't know what to believe. I don't know. Yeah, and so as a children of God, we desperately want to be able to discern what actual truth is. And Paul says that as we replace, recognizing we're conformed, molded, shaped, as we replace our conformed thinking with the truth of God's word that leads to our transformation into who we really are, a result of that is that we're able to discern in life. We're able to discern the good and perfect and pleasing, Paul says, will of God. And that alone is enough of a reason to go to to do this, to know that God's will is actively in the world, working its way out, no matter what we may see, hear, all that stuff, be able to discern that and be people that are people of life in this world, people of peace in this world, people of love in this world, not in the hippie understanding of any of those things, but in the real rooted eternal reality of Jesus Christ's understanding of those things, that we are meant to be people that have an impact on this world as we discern the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God, which again comes from understanding the ways that we've been conformed and submitting that to God for his eternal truth. Um, there's a whole lot more I could say, but uh, I'm, I'm out of time. And I think you get enough of the, the heart of it anyway. And I'm gonna ask that we just take a few seconds of silence before we go on our way today. Um, and perhaps just take a moment to ask, because you could, you could try to figure this out on your own. <laughs> Uh, I, mean, I mean, you could say, you could say, like, where have I been conformed? You know, good luck with that. I mean, possibly with a good spiritual director like Joanne, after many, many years, you could figure all that out, um, or, or a good counselor. But, but I can tell you who can figure that out, and it's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit reveals just what you need to know at the right time. And by asking, you know, God, send your Holy Spirit and show me the ways that I've conformed it to the patterns of this world that are in conflict with your word. So if we're acting in ways that are very unloving, you know, if we're holding on to resentment, if we're holding on to bitterness, if we're ruled by lust, if we have a hard time believing the goodness of God, like, What are these things that have shaped and molded you, your experiences, the conclusions that you've come to that are in conflict with the word of God? And ask the Holy Spirit to begin to reveal that to you. And whether he reveals it now or in the coming weeks or months, he will continue to reveal if you're open to that. And if by chance you have any idea of what that may be today, be willing to wrestle, possibly, if needed, with the word of God, with the intention of you losing that battle Um, and allowing his truth to become your truth and then deciding by the power of his spirit to live your life as if that truth were more real than the one that you've been formed by. That's how you live resurrection. So let's take a few seconds and do that together and then Joanne will close this in prayer.
It's on. There we go. Thank you, Vince. And that prayer, hopefully, will continue that discernment, that awareness that Vince was just talking about. That, that, but here's the thing. You have to want to wake up. You have to want to see it. You have to want to be free. And yeah, like he said, there's going to be, when you start to wake up, and see what you haven't allowed yourself to see. There can, it can feel heavy. It can feel confusing. It can feel, like he said, depressing. Okay, for this amount of time, in order for you to get to a place where you're able to live from now till eternity in the reality of who you are, right? Thank you, Vince. Um, you have no way of knowing that this is exactly the flow that we've been in for the last number of weeks. We had a, an amazing Q&A conversation last week about false self and true self, that all of this, it just it's all flowing. It's all the spirit of God. Thank you. Um, and thank you for your vulnerability in telling some of your stories and about your life in front of a room of people that you don't know. Thank you. You're modeling your message. Thank you very much. I just want to close this in prayer and say, you know what, as I'm listening to somebody else say it, I was thinking, this could sound too good to be true. And you know, I think we use that as an excuse a lot of times. It's just too good to be true. Fairy tales, spiritual talk, too good to be true. I'm going to stay with what I know. Why do we do that to ourselves? If you have a desire to live in the way that Vince has just described, that we've been talking about, that we're gonna be unpacking for the next year, if you want that, explain to me why you would do anything other than that. Why wouldn't you give yourself what you want? And why wouldn't you trust God? That God put the desire in you to want it, it is not too good to be true. It is not too good to be true. It is what is, capital T, truth. So as we prepare to close our service today, take that with you. This is what's true. Now, let's be serious, Christians, and look at what it is that we're believing, what it is that we're doing, this little tiny little box that we allow ourselves to live in. That's too small. What is it in your life that keeps you locked up there, settling, existing instead of thriving, right? So Lord, we thank you. Thank you again, Spirit of God, for the way that you have been with us and in us and moving through your son, your beloved one, Vince, this morning. Thank you for the courage that he exhibited to say some things that don't usually get said. To tell not only his little T-truth, but your big T-truth. Lord, I just pray that by your grace, that big T-truth would become so real in the hearts and in the lives and in the desire of every one of us <laughs> that we would light up with your spirit, that we would experience together the reality that together we are bigger in Christ than we can imagine that Christ is bigger 
than we've ever been told he is. And that all we need to do is trust. Trust that this is not too good to be true. Trust and believe it long enough. Live it long enough for our minds to be renewed, for our hearts to be broken open in love, and for our lives to be changed. Thank you for transformation. Thank you that we're living into it. And just thank you that, Lord, <laughs> we're standing here and we're trusting you and we're believing that we can't do it. You're the only one that can raise us. You're the only one who can transform us. So do it, Lord. We want it. And we're not going to get in our own way anymore. And we're not going to get in your way anymore. Bless you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you for the extra time. And have a, a wonderful week being transformed. Amen?